in this series right now. I'm excited about this. This is um, a series we've been talking about things that Jesus has said. We're calling it Red Letters because in your Bibles, it's probably in red print because it's important, because it's something that Jesus said. So we've looked at a couple things that are controversial, a couple things that are just things we need to know, like prayer. Last week, we talked a lot about prayer. Today, a little bit on the edge. I'm excited about this one, but before I jump into it, I want you to think about Jesus. What would be some terms or some words that you would think of that would um, describe him? Characteristics of Jesus. I would think of things like gentle, right? That's what would come to mind. Loving, forgiving, you know, this gentle kind of guy. I would think of that until I get to Matthew chapter 10. And in Matthew chapter 10, something else opens up about this guy that I'm thinking, wait, this is not the same guy. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to get there. If you don't have one, there's one on either side of the room you can get. Your phone, you can get that out, um, get to your Bible app open. This would be great to follow along with this. Matthew chapter 10, we get to this point of Jesus, and I like to agree with Philip Yancey. Um, he wrote a book one time called The Jesus I Never Knew. And this is what happens when I get to Matthew 10. I'm like, really? What about the loving, caring, forgiving guy? And Jesus comes off as bold, demanding, even tough. He speaks and it's brutally straightforward. It's honest, and it's right there in front of us. So, Matthew chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 34, and this is what he says. Do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. All right, gentlemen, right? How many of us growing up love these things? Moms, you guys, you guys are like, I hated that stuff and it didn't matter. I could take them all away and you would find a stick. You know, it didn't matter. We could, we could play sword fights with anything, couldn't we? And we would make our own, I borrowed this from a um, kid in in our um, children's ministry and love it. A little homemade thing. It's all beat up. You can tell this thing is well used and we love these kind of things, don't we? These swords and We'll find it. It's part of our nature. There's something in it about us that we don't want to hurt anybody. We're not after to um, make war, but yet we love to play with these and to fight. And there's just something in us. That, and it's not just playing with these or having these. I think there's something that goes beyond it. It's even in the movies. Guys, I know I perk up when I see a good sword fight on in a show, TV show, or in a movie. One of my favorites is um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? When he pulls out the big sword, he's waving it around, and Harrison Ford pulls out a gun and shoots him. Isn't that the best? You know, like, never bring a sword to a gunfight. All right, we learn lessons with that. But what about the old stuff? Errol Flynn. Some of you might remember the, the, these sword fights and the fencing and how awesome these were. Monty Python, some of you guys like that, and there's sword fights that happen there. One of my favorites, though. One of my favorite scenes, sword fights of all time, has to come from The Princess Bride. Watch this.
Thank you. I've worked hard to become so. I admitted you are better than I am. The more you smiling. Because I know something you don't know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. Amazing. I ought to be after 20 years. Oh, there's something I ought to tell you. Tell me. I'm not left-handed either. you love a good sword fight especially with a little comedy involved it's one of the few sword fights we found that we could show in church right <laughs> because we well all right i love scenes from braveheart right william wallace that's what i'm talking about so let's talk about a real sword all right i wonder i wonder right if this is what Jesus might have been talking about. I love this. This was a gift that I got from another pastor friend of mine in Kansas City uh, for many different reasons. I'd love to tell you sometime about it, but Jesus, when he spoke, do you ever wonder, do you think that maybe this is what he was talking about when he said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, a real sword. I mean, something that could really hurt, that could really damage, that could really cut, that could... This is a real sword fight. This would be something that as a man I'd say, yeah, that's the kind of Jesus I want to follow. A guy that's going to protect, a guy that's going to charge, a guy that's going to use something. Well, you see, there was a false assumption, I think, of the Messiah when he came. This Jewish Messiah that was coming around, what his mission was, because we read it every year at Christmas, don't we? You hear the story at Christmas time. Here was the Messiah being born, a baby, and how soft and gentle he was. And in chapter 9 of Isaiah, we read that he is the Prince of Peace. And that's still a true story. He is still the Prince of Peace, but they thought he was going to bring a certain kind of peace. He was going to make everything peaceful as he came into the world. And the ultimate goal of the gospel is for sure peace, but it's not peace with this world or with each other as much as it is peace with God. And peace doesn't come easily. Right now, there are countries all over our world fighting against each other, fighting in war. Their, their ultimate goal, is it really peace? I think it would be ignorant of us to suggest that these countries are excited about their war that they would sit back and go, yeah, we love this. This is great. I love fighting with other people. You know, that, no, I, I, I don't think that that's the case. But yet, sometimes it happens. Sometimes we fight. Sometimes it has to happen to get there. I heard about a tale, I'm not sure if it's true or not, but I heard about a guy that during the Civil War, he couldn't make up his mind. He couldn't decide whether to be on the side of the north or on the side of the south. He was just confused. Do I go with this team? Do I go with this team? I don't know what to do. So he decided to go both ways. And he dressed up 
with a blue jacket and gray pants. And before the battle started on this battlefield, he walked out into the middle of the battlefield to be seen and hopefully to be shown to make peace between the two different um, armies. Do you know what happened to him? Both sides shot him. (laughs) Right. You you can't land on middle ground. You, You can't stand right there. And Jesus even said it. You're either with me or you're against me. But you can't play both sides on this because peace comes at a price. You know, there could have been peace in our history. There could have been peace in 1939. Great Britain and France could have just let Hitler have all of Poland. They could have just rolled over and said, here you go. It actually was the start of that the year before that happened. It it happened. Um, Hitler came in. There were some talks. They gave him part of Czechoslovakia. And the prime minister... Um, the British Prime Minister at the time, Neville Chamberlain, came home from those talks and said, peace for our land. Everything is good, right? Peace for our time. Well, it didn't last long. And thank goodness it didn't. No one would want to live under the peace that Hitler was bringing to the country. We wouldn't want that peace. We could have had peace December 7th, 1941. When Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, we could have all said, you know, ah, we don't like Pearl Harbor anyway. Let them have it, right? Let's just keep the peace. But no, what was stated is this day will go down in infamy. This is war. In order to get to peace, sometimes you have to go through some tough times. Sometimes you have to go through battles and war. And I believe the same goes for the gospel. When Jesus is teaching, when he's talking about this, the goal of the gospel, again, is not conflict with God or conflict with each other. He didn't say that that we should seek that out. He said it's going to happen. The goal of the gospel is peace with God. I believe the goal of the gospel is so that we can have this peace with him. The difficulty is that the gospel is so penetrating the gospel creates such a heavy message and a change in our life It's considered to be a sword. It'll change your life if you let it. And Jesus warns us, there's going to be conflict between those that agree with him, those that believe in him, and those who don't. And you're going to see it happen within your families. There's going to be times where there's going to be people that agree and people that don't. And there's going to be conflict within that. Let's read on. What else he said here? Matthew chapter 10. All right, I haven't come to bring peace but a sword. Verse 35, he says, For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow, that seems harsh, doesn't it? It seems tough. Like, are you sure Jesus said that? Am I reading the same book that you are? This really is in the Bible? Really, he said that? Well, there's nothing new here, is there? I don't think I'm revealing anything to you that you guys probably already don't know. When you go to work, all right, you show up at work, you're talking to your coworkers, what do you talk about usually? The weather, sports, maybe a home improvement project you're working on, maybe something within your family, maybe not, but religion? No. In fact, some places have outlawed it and you're not supposed to do that and you're thinking, oh, good. I have a good excuse now. Why? Because this is a tough topic. 
This is hard to talk about because it creates this at times, a battle between each other. You know what happens at family reunions or holidays when your big family all gets together. What do you talk about? Usually not religion, is it? I've been kicked under the table too many times during these times. Devin, quit bringing that up. Now, for me and my family, it's all because we agree, you know, 95 to 100% of the time. But I find out those, those one little pieces that I can bring up and start. But for some of you, it's, it's because you believe and they don't. And that creates tension, creates tough times within your family. How do you share the gospel with love without it becoming dangerous? Now, Jesus, he's not calling us to dislike our family members. Even though in Luke's version, Luke tells the same story as Matthew does. Luke's telling this as well. Luke actually says that you should hate your family. Um, he's, he's exaggerating to prove a point. He's taking it to an extreme to say, you know, this is important. But scripture is very clear. We should honor our parents. Honor your father and your mother that's an important piece of this. You've got to understand the whole scripture. He tells us to love each other. It's not going against the rest of scripture by saying that. But I believe what Jesus is teaching here, quite simply, is that he wants us to prioritize him. He's got to come first. And he wants us to see it so drastically, so much, that he takes things that are so important to us and emphasizes them to prove his point. The two things. Our family and us. M- me. You, know, you. Who loves you more than you? Nobody. You love you more than you love anybody else, right? You take care of yourself. But what Jesus is saying is this. You should love him more than you love anyone else. You should love him more than you love yourself. That's why this is tough and that's why this is important. And I get it. Your dad can't provide salvation for you. Your mom can't provide salvation for you. This is a big subject. This is a big deal. Your eternity is greater than any relationship you have here on this earth. And he doesn't want you to give up eternity for a relationship here, even if it's someone close to you. Now, it doesn't contradict peace. Jesus is still the Prince of Peace. That is still a true statement in Scripture. And here in the States, it's usually not as dramatic, but I, I promise, if you were to do a little research and study the voice of the martyrs, and you were to find out what's going on around the world, I think it would shock most of us. That there are people that once they decide to be a follower of Christ, this also comes with it, with the people that are closest to them. And it doesn't mean we stop witnessing to our family. It doesn't mean that we become violent. Jesus isn't promoting violence here. It doesn't mean that we stop loving our family, that we run from our family. It it actually means we run to them because they need to hear this message. But he's also telling you that it's going to be tough and you might have to take this with you. It's going to be a battle. But he promises that blessed are the peacemakers. And that needs to be a goal of ours. Even Jesus had issues with his own brothers his own family, they didn't believe him until he had died and came back from the dead. Then they said, oh, there might be something to this guy. Let's, let's listen to him. But even Jesus himself was very divisive in his talk. John 14, 5, he says it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Those are fighting words, aren't they? He's drawing a line and saying, there's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to salvation, and that's through me. And some people don't like that. And that creates issues. But it's important because it's eternity. In Luke chapter 22, verse 36, um, Jesus is telling his disciples how hard it's going to be. He's sending them out. They're getting ready to go out on their journeys, go out to spread the good news of what he has to offer. And he talks to them. He says, now one, make sure you take some money with you. If you have a money bag, take some money with you. Likewise, he says, take a sleeping bag. Um, Take something to sleep on. This is important. And he says this too. If you don't have one of these, sell your coat and buy one. This is more important than your coat even. Get a sword because this is gone. This is going to happen. You're going to face some trials. You're going to have some tough times when you choose to follow me and you start telling other people about it. It's going to be tough. Violence? No, I don't think he was telling them to buy a sword and start to spread the news with violence. Go out, and if they don't like it, you can use a sword on them. No, he's not spreading violence because, in fact, two verses later, in Luke 22, two verses later, the disciples come back to him and they say, hey, Jesus, we only have two swords. And you know what he says? That's enough. That'll do. His point wasn't that you have to have one to go out. His point was it's going to be tough when you do. This is going to be hard. Um, You're going to cause some problems when you start spreading this word around. It's not to become physical. No, I don't think he's promoting that. Because in Matthew chapter 26, verse 52, this is a story when he was arrested in the garden. The night before his crucifixion, the guards came in to arrest him. Judas kisses him on the cheek, and the guards come in to arrest him. And Peter pulls out a sword. I don't think it's probably quite this big. It's probably one smaller that he could tuck into his belt somewhere that he could carry around with him. But I believe that Peter got excited. He lunged out, cut the ear off of the guy trying to arrest Jesus. And Jesus came back to Peter and said, dude, put your sword away. (laughs) This isn't what we're about. He's not promoting violence. He heals the guy. And then he says to Peter, Anyone who takes up the sword will perish by the sword. Don't use it. And in Matthew 10, verse 38, we'll finish this up. He tells us that this is important to us. He says, And anyone who does not take up his own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So it's not just about others. The priority is also on you. What do you believe? What do you think? What kind of stance are you willing to take with this? Are you willing to go to this extreme with it? I love this story. This is is when Jesus is sitting around with his disciples late in his ministry. And he asks them the question, who do people say that I am? I kind of want to get some feedback. What what are people saying about me? And they say, oh, some people are saying you're a prophet. Um, like Elijah. Some are saying you're like John the Baptist and he's going around the circle and then he stops and he says, okay, but what about you? What do you say about me? What do you believe about me? And I love this response. Peter, um, his name was Simon at the, this point and Peter, Simon Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Lord 
You're our savior. And Jesus comes back and changes his name at that point. He says, good for you. That's a great response. In fact, it's on that I'm going to build my church. And he changes his name to Peter, which is a Greek word. It means Petros, which means rock. He goes, it's on that I'm going to build my church. And we are still building the church of God today on that statement that Peter made, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, our Lord and Savior. And then he says to him, and he says to him, and the gates of hell will not prevail. It's on that statement that I'm going to build a church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I don't know how many times I'd read that verse. And maybe I learned this years ago and I'd forgotten it. But I love what Jesus does there. And I don't know if you've caught it even yet. Gates of hell. To me, when I think about warfare and I think about a battle scene and I think about gates, gates are a defensive weapon. How many, how many armies have ever come back from a battle and said, oh man, the gates, they kicked our tail. Those gates, they were so strong, they came at us. The gates were huge. The gates were, you know, too much for us. The gates are a defensive weapon. And Jesus has given us an offensive weapon. Then why do we play defense all the time? How come we aren't charging? How come we're not going after it? Get after it. Mark Batterson, I, I love, I'm reading a book of his right now. I love the way he puts this. He's talking, telling a story about his, little league, his son's little league basketball team. And I was coaching this basketball team and he has to remind them when they come up and down the court, here they are, they have the ball, but they'll just pass it around and he has to yell out at them, guys, you're on offense. You're on offense, you know, teaching them. There's a difference between offense and defense and offense means you have to score. So go after it, go do something, score. I wonder how many times the angels or God is up in heaven looking down on us saying, guys, you're on offense. You're on offense. Quit being so defensive against temptation and against Satan. He's against the wall. You have the offensive weapon. Go for it. Do something about it. I believe that once we've identified with Christ... Once you've made this statement that Peter made of who Christ is in your life, you are now at war. And you've got some alternatives. You can spare your life or you can sacrifice it. And I know it sounds backwards. You hear me through on this. If you spare your life, meaning you're trying to salvage your life, you're trying to save it here in this life, you'll lose because you can't do it. But if you sacrifice your life for Christ, he wins and we win with him. I heard this quote recently. It's a new one to me. Um, and it's fitting, I think, for this weekend. It says this, no one ever bet too much on a winning horse. I mean, think about it. Really? Oh, the Kentucky Derby yesterday, um, whichever horse won, I don't remember the name, but it, who, who, went, who went away betting on the winning horse saying, oh man, I put too much money down on that horse. <laughs> I shouldn't have put that much down. No, they're all walking away saying, ah, I wish I would have put more on him. If I would have known he was going to win, I would have put more money down on him. Here's what I'm thinking with us. The only regrets we're going to have in this life is that we didn't seek God more and we didn't seek God sooner. 
because he wins. I love this story as well, another war story. It's an elderly woman um, in Germany, an elderly German woman, and she, this is towards the end of the Second World War, and she sees this American troop coming into her village, this American army coming into her village, and she goes and grabs an American flag, drapes it around her, and stands in the middle of the town, right in the middle of the street. And all her friends and her family, you know, they're trying to call her back, come back, come back, you should hide We need to hide, find out who's going to win, and then we'll join that side. She says, no, I already know who's going to win, and I want them to know I'm on their side. Guys, we're in a spiritual battle, and I believe the spiritual battle needs offensive weapons. Don't let temptation come at you. Temptation can't. We walk right into it too often. We seek it out, and we go right to it. Put some things in place to keep temptation away. Let me give you some examples. And these aren't sins. I'm not trying to call you out on this. But I want to tell you they can lead to it. And if you're not careful, if you don't use offensive weapons here, you get caught being beat by gates. So if you struggle with alcohol, if that's something you're struggling with, don't keep it around the house. Dump it out. Don't store any in your home. Get rid of it. If what you look at on the internet is a problem, get some protection on your internet. Get something that will keep certain sites from showing up. Get somebody else to set the password and then throw it away. Do whatever it takes to be offensive against the sins that could come into your life. If you struggle with temptation with someone else, don't eat alone with someone of the opposite sex if you're married. It may sound extreme, but... Guys, it's important. If you love your marriage, you're going to put some things in place to keep that temptation from happening. If you struggle with a low self-esteem, don't get on Facebook. (laughs) Really. If you struggle with that, you're just going to compare yourself to everyone else's highlights of their week and how great it was and how bad yours was. Just get rid of it. You don't need it. If you struggle with pride, buy a junky car. All right? Then you're not driving around saying, look at me and what I've got. You just get someplace. Stay away from the group of people that gossip. It's, it's better for you to not be with them and their friends than to slip into that. So take this. Take the sword that God has given you and use it. You all have one. And this one's better. Hebrews 4.12, it tells us the word of God is, is living and it's active and it's sharper than any weapon we can carry. This thing is amazing. Ephesians 6, it talks about the armor of God. It tells us to put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you have it. It's yours to use. The peace that Jesus brings is a peace between us and God, and it's a battle between sin and this world. We make the mistake often, I think. I think we mistake Jesus as coming to bring peace around us. No, sometimes it's just the opposite. We are to be salt and light into this world. Have you ever poured salt into an open wound? It hurts. (laughs) Have you ever shined a light into a dark room? You know, people say, turn off the light. 
sometimes what we bring is painful, sometimes it hurts, but eternity is so much more important. It's our primary concern. It should not be this world, it should be eternity. We're just pilgrims here. We're just passing through in this life. This world is not our home, and nothing that we have in this world can provide peace for you. Nothing exists in this world that can bring you peace. So don't fight for this world. Fight for the next one. Our task is to bring peace into the world, but not as the world understands it. It's to bring peace into a perishing world that needs salvation a world that's passing away. True love would tell somebody when they're making a mistake. True love would tell somebody about eternity so that they don't have to spend it away from God. True love oftentimes brings pain so that change can happen. And love of this world, love of this life separates us from the love of Christ. And the love of Christ, on the other hand, sometimes violently removes us from things in this world so that we can have his love. We sang about it earlier. We sang a song about it. His love is fierce. There is times it has to be fierce. Parents, have you ever ever taken something away from your child that could potentially hurt them and they thought you were being mean to them and they were crying about it? It happens because we care more about their safety than their immediate happiness. And we know better. So we fiercely sometimes have to take that away and I think God does that to us. The love of Christ sometimes has to be violent for me to understand it. True love transforms. I believe religion, it checks a box. Check, I went to church. Jesus says, (laughs) take up your cross and follow me. It means transforming your life. Here's the picture. I want to show you this. This is the picture of my office where I have this sword hanging. Um, I have it hanging above the windows, high to hopefully out of the reach of junior high boys. Um, although I'm sure they could figure out how to get to it. But notice it's also hanging underneath a sign. That's my favorite verse. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And yet it's hanging above a sword? What is that, right? Am I to fight or not fight? What's the deal? Is this a weapon? Do I use it? Or am I supposed to let God fight for me? Yes. Yes. It's a battle. It's a battle all the time, internally, with us, isn't it? You fight more with yourself, probably, to take up your cross and follow him. And that battle is real. And it's a real spiritual battle that we're in. And we've got to take it on and then give it up and let God fight for us. And here's why, because he wins. John 14, sorry, John 16, 33. He tells us, I have told you this so that you may have peace. Where? In me. Not in yourself, but in him. Here on earth, you're gonna have trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world He wins. No one ever bet too much on a winning horse, right? You can't give enough of yourself to him. So I want to encourage you, if if you don't know him, I would love to share him with you. If you do know him, continue the battle, continue to fight to share his good news with others and to keep chasing after him with yourself. Let me say a quick prayer for you. Father, I'm grateful
I'm grateful for what you've done, for who you are and how you love us, and that you were honest with us and told us this isn't going to be easy, and it may mean a sword. God, keep us focused on the real reason, which is for you and to spend eternity with you. We love you and we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.